This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the John Favreau's My Daddy podcast with Jessica Garcia and Monica Montoya. I always want to see if you're going to say hello because I feel no. like I start every episode. Because you do. I thought that that's <laughs> what we did. I didn't know it was a routine. I just thought I did it because you weren't. Oh, no. I I patiently wait for you to go, hello. Oh, is that what I sound like? That is what you sound like. Hello. That's exactly what you sound like. <laughs> well, then it's no wonder people tell me I have such a soothing voice. Hello. Hello. I feel like every time you open your mouth, it's like careless whisper. Do you? <laughs> Honestly, good morning, Jessica. This is the good top morning, of the morning. Monica. Top of the morning. It's 11, 19 a.m. 11, 19. On May 1st. Yeah, it's going to be May. It's going to be May. Anyway, Monica, how are you this morning? Uh, you know, I spent the whole morning reading about our, uh, I was about to say our guest. Um, oh, I wish. I wish. Um, about our subject's life. So I, I've been, I've been really in it, in the weeds, as they a, say. A, a little sad this morning. I've been a little sad this morning. Well, luckily, uh, two, I would say two out of the three roles we're talking about are rather joyful. Very joyful. Very funny. Yeah. Very Comedy-y. The first one is as much of a downer as his as life, you can unfortunately. Get, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's a phenomenal film and his performance in it is absolutely stunning. Exactly. So there's no way we could not talk about it. Precisely. And before you come for us for not including Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. There's a lot there's there are a lot of movies. There's so many movies. We will talk about them someday. And we will do it. Okay? It's just right off right off the bat, y'all know whose movie that is. So Calm down. <laughs> Obviously, it's Ben Affleck. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's Ben Affleck. It's Ben Affleck's movie. <laughs> it's Mini Driver, actually. <laughs> that's, that's who today's daddy is. It's Mini Driver. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. Um, Monica, who are we talking about today? We're talking about the one and the only Robin Williams. Yes, bitch. What a man. What a legend. What a legacy he left for us I know. today on this fine, fine May 1st morning. I know. With his face and his eyes and his hands and his voices and his voices i've been having such a good time posting about him on instagram because there's there's so many gifts so good (laughs) so good so many good things okay tell us about him robin mclaurin williams mclaurin mclaurin yeah wow uh was an american actor and comedian in 1973 robin williams got a full scholarship to the juilliard school wow which in case you don't know is the fanciest fancy school in all of the fans yeah to Jessica's utter horror, <laughs> he left Juilliard during his junior year in 1976 at the suggestion of John Houseman. I'm so mad. Who said there was, quote unquote, nothing more Juilliard could teach him. I guess, though, and I said this to you a minute ago, I think there's a little bit of a difference when you leave with a whole year left. But like the one that really got me was fucking Brad Pitt, who was literally like the weekend of his graduation. He was like, never mind. <laughs> 
rather not. I'd rather not graduate, actually, uh, even though I put in all of the work and paid all of the money. It's all Thank right. You. It's all right. Leave them alone. It's, all, it's almost more powerful that way. You know what I mean? No. The statement. No. I mean, Steven Spielberg, you know, he only had like a class left. He and literally. I also say this as someone who isn't famous and all of these people are famous and rich. Yeah. So first of all, so really quick sidebar. Steven Spielberg had like a, like a science class left. That's disgusting. At Cal State Long Beach. And the man went back like a million years later mm-hmm. and got and like took the class okay. with the rest of the students in the class, submitted the final paper and walked across the stage in like his $40 cap and gown from the bookstore. Good. And did it and went, yeah, so like I felt like I needed to be an example for my children. Like, I love okay, that. And think about it. At this point, I think this was like 2005 when or 2002. 2002 when he went back to the school and like did it. And uh, the man had already come out with Schindler's List. <laughs> okay. All right. And it's just. That's a fucking power it's move It's just there. too much. That's the power move. No. <laughs> what you do is you go get your Oscar and mm-hmm. then you go finish school. What's crazy is he has like legit five honorary degrees and one of them is like from fucking Yale or something. I love it. So and it's yet like, he goes back to yet, CSU Long Beach. I, okay, if you go to CSU Long Beach, I'm not shitting on your uh, school. I'm I just, love CSU there, Long Beach. There is a difference between that and Yale. There can is, we agree? Yes, we can agree. <laughs> but the but the one thing that I want to say is like, what's really funny is following that, if you look at all the marketing campaigns for CSU Long Beach, yeah. he is in it as like a recent grad. <laughs> Recent alumni. Recent alumni. Spielberg. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, tell me, tell me about uh, Robin Flaky Williams. I will. <laughs> Known for his improvisational skills and a wide, a wide variety of voices, he's often regarded as one of the best comedians of all time. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat that: all time. I would agree. I would agree. Williams began performing stand-up comedy in San Francisco and Los Angeles during the mid-1970s and rose to fame playing the alien Mork in the ABC sitcom Mork and Mindy. I've never seen that show, have I've you? I've also never seen that show. It was wildly popular. It's just not my speed. We don't know. We've never watched it. Yeah. <laughs> In May 2014, he had been told that he had Parkinson's disease, news that stunned and overwhelmed the once nimble comedian. He died in his home on August 11th, 2014, and the world was absolutely shocked when we found out that Robin was actually misdiagnosed. An autopsy would later reveal that he actually had Lewy body dementia, an aggressive and incurable brain disorder. The world will forever miss and cherish his incredible spirit and talent that completely inspired an entire generation of dreamers. We love you, Papa. Oh, that we was miss so you, nice. boys. We miss you, Robin. We miss you, Robin. And now we're going to honor you by screaming about three of your movies. <laughs> I know. Now we're going to honor you by like. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to honor you by featuring you on the John Favreau's My Daddy podcast. <laughs> I hope you're happy. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so the first movie that we're going to get into is, I think, the most obvious one you could choose for him. Oh? <laughs> <laughs> Other than Goodwill Hunting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that is 
Dead Poet Society, which came out in 1989, directed by Peter Weir, screenplay by Tom Schulman. Ooh. A new English teacher, John Keating, played by Robin Williams, is introduced to an all-boys preparatory school that is known for its ancient traditions and high standards. He uses unorthodox methods to reach out to his students who face enormous pressures from their parents and the school. With Keating's help, students Neil Perry, played by Robert Sean Leonard, Todd Anderson, played by Ethan Hawke, and others learn to break out of their shells, pursue their dreams, and seize the day. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Carpe diem. It's a very bad impression of Robin Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, right off the bat, this movie is all over Tumblr. All over. All over Tumblr. You see images of them standing on the desks. You see the ones... You know, there's always the gif of him talking about like, like, like but the arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poetry. Poetry. Music. Drama. Art. <laughs> These are the things we live for. Language was invented for one thing, to woo women. To woo women. Uh, so this is just all over Tumblr. I just yeah. needed to start it off by saying, totally. if you were a kid in like, 2012 2014 like grungy tumblr era peak peak like grungy tumblr oh, yeah, era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like we're talking like it was like this and it was like right you know you reblog it and like on your reblog like on your like list of reblogs it was like that and like arctic monkeys am and like yeah a bunch of lana del rey edits and my like, tumblr is still active oh i keep mine just to look back i keep mine because i still like to scroll on tumblr to, because oh. the people who are still active are like they're fascinating really because they're still active wow you know wow I I, mm, I was never Tumblr famous. I was always, neither was I. I. I was like I uh, curated my feed as much as I possibly could to eventually become Tumblr famous. Yes, yes, it yes, did yes, yes. not happen. <laughs> uh, I became fr- like cyber friends with someone who was Tumblr famous. That was very exciting. Wow, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like very obsessed with like Mark Marin and like coffee of you and were. like. Coffee. I, and like I hated cats, but like I still reblogged them because they were like very in, like very trendy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it was like all about like all of those slow edits of like Lana Del Rey's music videos and gifts, but mm-hmm. it was like black and white and yeah. they had like galaxies behind them or some shit. Like I don't ha- know, super hazy and yeah, yeah super yeah, yeah. hazy and like you know, it was all about like drinking, even though I had never had like a drink in my life because I was like fucking 10 or whatever. So there was so, that and then there was gifts of the Dead Poets Society. Yeah, and then gifts of the Dead Poets Society <laughs> right next to all that. Yep. So I just want to let you know right off the bat, before I even watch this movie, <laughs> I was unknowingly reblocking <laughs> gifts from this movie. I have only seen this movie twice. This was the second time. Oh, wow. Well, what was the it. first time? Tell me. The first, I don't remember. I just, I think, I think it was like one summer. I was like, I, I need to see this movie. Oh. <laughs> I, need, I need to have watched this movie. And then I did. In summer. <laughs> and then I sang that song right after. <laughs> so this movie, yeah. uh, first of all, is beautiful. Like it is stunning. It takes place in like an all boys preparatory, mm-hmm. like New Englandy, old timey, like older than the hills. Uh, school older than the hills, older than the hills in these traditions, <laughs> and so uh, what you see is these this like beautiful like rolling campus mm-hmm. with these in- incredible like leaves that like change colors because mm-hmm. like we don't have that here. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what that's like. We don't know what trees are. <laughs> we live in the desert. Is it a Groot? Is it like the movies? <laughs> 
Do I carry it in my pocket? Do they all speak? Does Will someone Vin, tell me? Does Vin Diesel voice the trees? <laughs> and so, because we don't know what they look like, yeah. they're just absolutely stunning. And the cinematography is beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. just It's just such a gorgeous, it's very like, it's very like, posh boy but like traditional yeah it's like it's pretty much school ties if you saw school ties when we talked about it (laughs) which if you have not watched school ties or if you've not listened to the brendan uh fraser fraser episode (laughs) did you see my like eye twitch (laughs) my eye twitched right before i said his last name because my whole life i was mispronouncing it (laughs) brendan fraser (laughs) i did it again uh looney tunes back in action star brendan <laughs> fraser uh if you have not listened to that episode go listen to that because we talk a lot about school ties yeah and that movie has such like they both have the same vibes basically. i think it was the same composer as well i think it was it might have been i don't might remember who does that. the who does the score for this but it is a beautiful score it's a beautiful as well. score it's a beautiful setting all the boys like all what i love about this movie is all the boys are teens yeah and they look like teens yeah like ethan hawk was legit a teen and yes the- exactly they all are like skinny and pimply and weird looking and like mm-hmm. misshapen <laughs> like misshapen <laughs> And you can tell that they all probably smell a little. Like, <laughs> they're definitely like teenage boys. You yes, know? absolutely. Uh, and like their desires and their wants and their needs are very like mm-hmm. in the now. Correct. My whole life is ending right now mm-hmm. because I can't do what I love, which, you know, happens when you are literally 15. Correct. <laughs> is you think that your world is incredibly small. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. All that to say is Robin Williams plays the English teacher that's like kind of, um, he had already gone through his experience at the school. So he's yeah. actually an alum, alumnus, alumnae, alumni. Al- alum, alumna? Alumna. Alumni. Alumnus? Is it alumniae? Alumnae? Alumni. <laughs> Aluminium. Aluminium. He's an aluminium from the school. Uh, and so he comes back to teach. And he, the whole thing is he's like a wackadoodle guy. Like he has yeah. like some like interesting methods of teaching. He's eccentric. He's eccentric. He's wacky. He's fun. And so he is more interested in like getting the students to like dig into their passions because uh-huh. they're like, they're basically robots at that school. Yeah. I mean, their only exposure is what their parents have told them about and to their parents the only thing that they should be prioritizing is education so like even to them they think that this fucking teacher's whack because they're just like um excuse me why aren't we learning about shakespeare please they're not they're not british (laughs) (laughs) but they might as well be but they might as well be yeah (laughs) um and it's like you know and it's like tradition above all else it's like discipline above all else it's like it's really more about like the parents are putting these kids in these schools because you know, it, it's really all about like the connections and like mm-hmm. getting them into like m- more specifically like an Ivy League. Yeah. Like that's the goal, right? It's like some of the, and, and you see two sides of the coin in this movie. Like you see a couple of students that are there, like for example, like either on scholarship or they're there um, with like their parents, like basically like savings and they're yeah. like putting, they're like quote unquote, like investing in their child by like giving them the best education so that they can then go to an Ivy League so that they can then, then like become a doctor and yeah. like then take care of them. So it's like, you, you see like that side of the coin and then you see the other flip side where it's like, no, they have like all this money and they're just like, you know, it is what, like this is just what they do in society. Yeah. And I think 
that story isn't like it's straight up not relatable to everybody and so i can understand if you're watching this movie and you're just like why is this such a famous fucking movie like this is an entirely unrelatable story to (laughs) most people um but like the thing you have to understand is that he's he's challenging the one the the single thing that they have been taught to value above everything else for their entire lives. And when you understand that, you understand how high the stakes are Very high. in the movie and how impactful Mr. Keating is as a character and how far-fetched he is as a character. And therefore you can understand how challenging the role is. Because I can imagine you watch this movie and you're just like it's a fucking movie about a boys school and about a teacher who like inspires them. Like, it's freedom writers uh, why is that interesting <laughs> or like why is that considered a challenging role but when you get the stakes then then it really becomes clear like oh this is like this is big yeah absolutely i think a lot of a lot of what makes this movie very special is robin williams yes because you know the the, the boys which mm-hmm. we've talked about this before and we've talked about this with fame where we were like very confused it's like why <laughs> these boys weren't like more famous as they yeah. got older or they like stopped acting altogether or like something happened uh where they like did not achieve like stardom yeah um which you know happens but like some of the performances that these boys give is more specifically like for me at least ethan hawk gives an incredible performance in this movie yes which um, explains why he's the most famous of all exactly <laughs> um but you know making sure that they that they are playing their roles is is like one thing but like robin williams what he provides in this movie is like both a voice of reason and also like the little devil on your shoulder that is Mm -hmm. kind of like whispering to you and like telling them like, no, like follow your dreams, like follow your passions. And I think a lot of what Robin Williams brings to the table is this like, this like childlike energy Mm -hmm. with, while still remaining very refined and subdued because this is not your typical Robin Williams movie where he's like, you know, slapsticky or like over the top or changing voices or doing any of that. But the childlike spirit is still there. Yes. And the fact that he can communicate that to the students and the faculty, just everyone on set, honestly, and communicate that while still being very subdued and refined because of the setting, because of the kind of movie that he's making, like, oof. 10 out of 10. Yeah, like he's unassumingly confident and impactful. Yeah. Like you you don't see him coming, which is why I think he's he's so powerful and ultimately like why the school fears him in the end and like, has to fire him and I think I think one of the big moments of the movie that kind of for me at least sums up his impact is that scene where he's at it's kind of early on where he asked them like what their verse will be Mm -hmm. in like in the poem of life yeah what is your verse gonna be and that's when you kind of start realizing like this man isn't just teaching these boys English he he's teaching these boys to not only value life but to see themselves as like important and impactful because these kids they're not used to like being treated like their lives are important or that they have important thoughts or that they should be individuals they're kind of raised to be cogs in like a machine in the machine of society and what he's teaching them is that they deserve to have a life of their own and to make an impact that like they choose to make. Totally. And I think a big, a big part of that is like a big thing that, that the film itself is challenging mm-hmm. is the idea that parent, that y- you, all you are as a child is an extension of the life that your parents did not have. Yeah. Or an extension of the life that your parents want you to have mm-hmm. because of them. Yeah. Right. 
And so a big a big thing in this movie is all of the kids are trying to appease their parents or they're trying to make sure that their parents feel proud of them or at the very least, nothing. Mm-hmm. Like they feel nothing for them rather than anger or disappointment. Like yeah. they would literally rather have no no emotional tie to their parents other than, all right, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and that is ultimately a positive thing. Yeah. Um, instead of you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're bringing disappointment on onto this family. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that Robin Williams's character is, like you said, challenging in them is this idea of like the traditional like extension of 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 your parents, right? Yeah. That's not who you are. He asks the bigger question at the beginning of the movie and is like, "Who are you?" Right? Like, what are you made of? Mm-hmm. What are the things in your life that you like to do? And the problem with this is that the majority of the students do not know the answer to this question because they're so coggy. <laughs> because mm-hmm. they are cogsworth. They're <laughs> 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 just rolling around like little cogs. Yeah, they're just rolling around like little cogs. And a big a big aspect of Robin Williams's role is trying his best to bring them out of their shells. Yeah. And introduce them to new concepts and new ideas that may not make sense to them. So like his methodology is like taking them outside. Mm-hmm. Like let's all kick soccer balls into, or I guess they'd be rugby balls up in the, up in new England, <laughs> whatever the fuck um, they were, some <laughs> kind of round <laughs> object. Let's kick this round object over the line and like, yeah. let's kick it. And like you give an intention or something. And like, he has them like walking around like ducks and he has them like making these silly faces mm-hmm. and like, really connecting with their inner child because in a lot of ways they're not children even though they are yeah (laughs) in a lot of ways they're literally just mirrors like reflecting whatever the fuck they're supposed to be doing yeah they're not real people and they're not kids so i love that robin williams is not only bringing out like the child like perspective inside all of them but he's also reminding them that they have a responsibility to themselves to become real people with real ideas and like real thought. Yeah. And he's also showing them that like life is exciting enough to want to do that because I think from their standpoint, they're like, life sucks. Life's <laughs> life. It's like, it's boring. What is, what is waiting for me? That is worth getting this excited about. Exactly. And you hear the line tossed around a lot in the movie about like sucking the marrow out of life. Yeah. And that's such like an and kind of like aggressive image. It's very aggressive. <laughs> but I think that's why taking them out of the classroom and making them do these very physical things is so important because he's showing them that like life is meaty and like- mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. I'm digging this. Life is meaty Ooh. and like juicy and it's worth getting, it's mm. like it's worth getting into it and it's worth like sucking the marrow Yeah, it's worth of. getting those meaty bits stuck in your teeth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think his acting is doing the thing that he is promoting in the movie as well. Yes. Like he approaches this movie very- not this movie this role (laughs) (laughs) he takes the movie and he just fucking pounds it i mean he does but he he approaches the role very like actively and his role and his acting is very visceral and it's really rewarding to watch him promote these ideas and then be like you robin williams as an actor are doing the thing that your character is promoting that's just it's a really fun thing to get to watch very invigorating yes it really is um 
but there's a big part of this movie that takes place in a cave. Like throughout the whole film, yeah. there are like these segments that take place in this cave. The Dead Poets Society. The Dead Poets Society that Robin Williams like was like a founder of, mm-hmm. or his character John Keating was like a founder of. And um, some of these kids are like using this cave to tell stories, to tell like po- uh, prose and poetry. And they're like adopting this love for like language and literature yeah. and like old people (laughs) (laughs) dead poets dead poets (laughs) um and i what i love is that throughout the film and throughout these like little segments where they're like you know in the in the cave and then they come out of the cave because it's like the next day because they always do this at night when they have to sneak out onto the grounds of the school (laughs) robin williams he gives his character like this little like suave side smile Mm -hmm. whenever he like realizes that the kids have been kind of like out and about like in the cave or whatever and he'll Mm -hmm. give this like soft little smile of like (laughs) almost like this smirk that i'm absolutely obsessed with like it tells so much without giving anything away. Yeah. And he, it's almost like a secret that he's keeping to himself that he knows, like he knows exactly what the kids are doing, but of course he's not saying anything and he's not even acknowledging it to the kids themselves. Yeah. And it's fabulous to see him like sort of with the the little twinkle in his eye, kind of like just give a little, like, like a nod, like, Oh yes, they are doing these things. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Well, I like that so much because like, it's it's not self-righteous at all because no. like he's the one who introduced them to all of these things. So you might think like, oh, he'll want to be actively a part of it. But he's like, he, no. I've introduced you to this, but like you fucking go and do with it what you will. Yeah, it's your thing now. It's yeah. not my thing. And it's he, your he's thing. like, I don't have to be involved in this anymore. Your identity and what you choose to pursue doesn't need to involve me any longer, which I think is like very refreshing because I think a lot of people specifically like mentors a lot of the time do like to take ownership yeah, and like to take pride. And he's very like, he's very hands off, but it is nice when he does express those moments of pride. Like when Neil is in the play oh, and yeah. he go he goes to the play and you like fucking see him in the audience and he's so fucking proud. He's so proud of this kid for doing, for doing this and pursuing something that his family is so, against which if i have to see another high school production of a midsummer night's dream i might keel over (laughs) she might just start shrieking i might just start shrieking like a a banshee (laughs) but you know it's in this movie and we have to watch it (laughs) and of course he's playing puck and of course he's playing puck and tbd if he's actually a good actor but you know you know it is what it is but he's pursuing something different that his father hates so much which his father i don't remember the actor's name he's in a bunch of stuff but i don't know his name i i just know that he also plays the dad in that 70s show yes he does yeah he does and he's fabulous he plays red <laughs> red <laughs> no! that guy yeah that guy he plays neil's dad yeah uh and he is just like a hard ass he's like mm-hmm. a stereotypical hard ass like you know he like he's this is the family that i was talking about earlier that like basically poured their life savings into this kid because they they're not like rich rich but they're not like poor like they have a nice house and and they have money they're like comfortable in a sense but they're not like the rest of these parents that are like like bucket loads of money this is new england guys yeah this is very specifically like quite rich high society new england and they're at the bottom of that of that triangle basically um at at the very top of the bigger pyramid (laughs) (laughs) so basically like he feels a lot um uh what was i gonna say Neil, Neil, the character feels a lot mm-hmm. of pressure yes. to like 
you know, make sure that his hard ass dad is no longer being hard ass to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that does not that does not change with him playing. Puck. No. No. In fact, it only gets worse, which is why he ultimately takes his own life, which is very sad. It is very sad. Um, it's a really upsetting part of the movie, but it does lead to like the ultimate climax where you yes. like fully understand the impact of John Keating and uh, is that his first name, John? Yeah, John. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For a minute, I was like, "Did I make that up?" Was it Dill Keating? <laughs> Ro- Rob? Rob? <laughs> Barbara? Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's like when you first understand, like, or not when you first understand, but when you finally like fully grasp the impact of this man, the severity. Exactly. And you get to see him break for the very first time. And the only time in the movie, like when he picks up Neil's book at the end and like he sees his notes and everything and he just breaks down because I, I don't, I want to, I wonder if like when he was do and when he was acting this moment, Mm -hmm. if there was anything where like he injected like blame or anything in himself like I I wonder about that because I don't think like Keating should blame himself for for Neil's death or anything but like I wonder if there are notes of that what do you think you know what's really funny is I never really got blame what I got was this is a result of of really living to the fullest and realizing that when someone doesn't let you do that it's death basically I think that that's more so what I got that's was like was him because there is risk, right? Yeah. Like Robin Williams is, does an incredible job of giving them like little like cautionary moments mm-hmm. throughout the film of like, you know, but don't don't go too far over the ledge because yeah. if you do, like, you know, there's no going back, right? And I think that there's there's just an insurmountable amount of risk with living life to its fullest, you yeah. know. And they're reading all of these poets that ultimately like meet their demise in various ways. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we all know what happened to Sylvia Plath. So I just, I just think that sometimes when, you know, with vulnerability Mm -hmm. and with, with, you know, really putting yourself out there and really throwing yourself into passion, there comes risk. There comes risk with, with the flip side of that coin. It's like you live life to the fullest, but ultimately sometimes that leads to your impending demise like yeah and i think that you know with vulnerability comes criticism right there's like it's a circle it's a cycle yeah. with vulner with vulnerability comes criticism with with making you know with passion comes hatred mm-hmm. like there are flip sides to every coin and i yeah. think that's a big part of what robin williams brought to the table where he again like with these little side remarks or these little smirks was giving them like, oh, there is a caution to this. You know, if you touch the fire, you will get burned. Yeah. But the fire is beautiful, isn't it? Like kind of a that like that situation. Yeah. And I think that there, while there's no blame, mm-hmm. at least I don't think, I think that there is a sense of like, you know, he touched that fire and, and it was beautiful and I'm sure it was, but now it's, it's gone. Like, yeah. and it burned him really badly. And I think that, and, 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 and it's completely out. Like, I think that's, 
more of the sense that I get yeah. than true blame. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I just, when I was watching it, I was like, I wonder if that's something that like he thought about because I can see, I can see someone reading the situation that way. I can see going like, I, I exposed him to this and then this happened. And then I think I'm, but, but what's really funny is I feel like if, if I were in that situation, mm-hmm. which holy shit, but like, if I were in that situation, I feel like I'd be like, you know what? Like I'm sure in those moments he was like truly pleased with his life. He just knew that going forward, things were never going to change. Yeah. Because I think what a lot of people don't realize or they realize too late Mm -hmm. and it's through therapy is that their parents usually will not change. Yeah. Like they will not change. And you have to, over the course of your life, like accept that Mm -hmm. or figure out ways to cope with that while sometimes keeping them in your life and sometimes not right? Depending on the situation. So, or you have to like accept them as people with, yeah. with real flaws and like <laughs> real, real problems. Mm-hmm. And, re- and then they make a lot of mistakes. Cause again, they're human, just like you are just like, you're fucking up. But the issue is like the dynamic there, right? Like they're your parents. They're mm-hmm. kind of untouchable in a way. And so when you start to realize that they're very deeply flawed, you start to realize, yeah, they're not going to change. <laughs> like yeah. they are a much older generation, and they're not seeking enlightenment or change or or a different mindset. They are who they are. Yeah. And I think that's a part of the movie that I resonate with a lot was sort of the the understanding of Neil's character of like, yeah, dude, like this is not my situation is for real not going to change unless I want like a shattered relationship with my parents, which he obviously did not want. Yeah. Right. And so he was like, in his mind, he had no choice because he was like, I have now touched the sun. I have now realized that this is what life can be Uh and it can ruin my relationship with my parents or I can live a life of of sat, like fucking misery. So here we go, right? And I think a lot of it's just magnified with his age. He's so young and so his worldview is very small. But I can understand the, the the thinking. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's very sad, that ending. This is a depressing movie. I know. I know. <laughs> and now... <laughs> I guess that's all we have to say about the Dead Poet Society. You, just, you have to watch the movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, just go watch the movie. I think there's a lot there. There's a lot to think about. I think that what's really funny is a lot of, like, li- literary people, like yeah. a lot of, like people who studied literature or like go on to become like um, teachers of literature yeah. or like people with like PhDs in literature that they have like a love hate relationship with this movie <laughs> because it like, it really does like romanticize that profession. Sure. <laughs> and it really mm-hmm. does like when, you know, and, and to be honest, they're not doing any real like digging into the text or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really funny to see them like not read anything. <laughs> yes. And, and like, literally not, rip things out of their books. And like not really analyze anything properly. Yeah. It's just like, how does this make you feel? <laughs> it's like, but like, like which <laughs> is an approach. Which is an approach. <laughs> but it's not the whole thing. It's also like <laughs> gravely misleading. So quite frankly, uh, it does have like mixed reviews among the lit crowd sure but if you're not a lit fan or a lit person or whatever this will be a fantastic film to add to your your blu-ray collection yeah and if you're not someone who's like really explored much of robin williams's dramatic acting this is a fantastic place to start because i think 
obviously, especially if you're our age, you think of him as purely a comedian. But like when you really get down to it, he's not he's not either a comedian or like a dramatic actor. He's just like a really fucking good actor he's an who art, has he's an, artiste. he's an artist. Yeah. Who has this insanely open mind and just like lets you see all parts of him. And it, he's I mean, he's amazing, obviously. He's just such a such a star, baby. A star. Yeah. And the next movie is Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Let's do a big old 180. Uh, it came out in 1993, directed by Chris Columbus, screenplay by Leslie Dixon and Randy Mayhem Singer. Mm-hmm. Troubled that he has little access to his children, divorced Daniel Hillard, played by Robin Williams, hatches an elaborate plan with help from his creative brother, Frank, played by Harvey Firestein, <laughs> which brilliantly, by the way. He dresses as an older British woman and convinces his ex-wife Miranda, played by Sally Field, to hire him as a nanny. <laughs> Mrs. Dotfire wins over the children and helps Daniel become a better parent. But when both Daniel and his nanny persona must meet different parties at the same restaurant, his secrets may be exposed. Blah, blah, blah. Bro, this movie. this movie. This movie is about as nostalgic for me as Liar Liar. I, they're like neck and neck. With it's, the amount of times I've seen it and like the quoting and, you know. The only thing, the only word that comes to mind when I think of this movie is iconic. Like, <laughs> yeah, to this genuinely. day, to this day, people are still talking about this fucking movie as if it had just come out. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that this movie, obviously I don't know Robin Williams personally. <laughs> you don't know our good dear friend. Robin? Uncle, Robin. Uncle Robin. Uh, no, but I... I feel like this movie is very close to what he is like as a real person Mm -hmm. because of joy. Yeah. It just seems like he's so full of joy. He's so full of love and talent. And, but in the case of this story, his love and his talent are very misdirected. Right. And he much like a child has so much to share, but doesn't know like how, or doesn't know where to put it. Yeah. And that's really interesting to see in an adult man. It really is. And like, I think that he's bursting at the seams. Yes. I think that he is a human being. Robin Williams is bursting at the seam with, at the seams with like, with like one, like curiosity is really the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. It's like wonder, curiosity, creativity, conviction. A lot of C words here. (laughs) Um, But he's just very in tune Mm -hmm. with his own spirit if that makes sense yeah like and it it is so apparent in these kinds of movies where he just gets to play right there's a lot of improv in this there's a lot of ad-libbing there's a lot going on in this movie Mm -hmm. and i think a big a big part of what makes robin williams robin williams to us to Mm -hmm. our generation to our to this world is this movie because you think of Robin Williams, you definitely think of Mrs. Doubtfire, 100%. And I think the joy that he brought to many people through this movie it far outweighs any like flaws that this movie has or any flaws that, yeah. that this in general has. Because I just think that truly it, it really redefines who Robin Williams is to a lot of people. And it at the very least gave an introduction to who he was and 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 what he was capable of comedically. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think I think that his acting is impressive on a few levels on here. It's very impressive on a technical level because oh, yeah. for 90% of the movie he's acting through an insane amount of prosthetics. It's just insanity. And like <laughs> as someone else. As someone completely different from a 
completely different place as a different like a different gender identity very very interesting yeah he's pretending to be an entirely different person and acting with all this shit on his body but then like he's all he also has to act the role of this like truly just like he's a hurting father Mm -hmm. you know and all he wants is his children and all he wants in a way is his wife and that's also something you don't get to see that often in a robin williams movie you don't often get to see him like in love yeah which i've never really thought about the stakes are the stakes are really high for him as far as keeping like the love of his life in his life you know what i mean and i think a big a big part of this movie focuses on like how large his heart is Mm -hmm. and how true his intentions are but how shitty his impact is yes exactly it's like it's always like you know the the heart is there the heart's in the right place the intentions are in the right place the impact or the execution is always gravely wrong yeah i mean he's like a puppy who gets too excited and keeps peeing on the floor or like like biting (laughs) your toe off yeah it's like all, all he wants to do is play and give love but like can't show it in the right way or do it in a conventional way that like unfortunately in order to be a part of Miranda aka Sally Field's life it needs to be conventional because that's like that's who she is exactly so if he can't adapt that which by the way he doesn't he cannot uh if he can't adapt to that then essentially his relationships are ruined Mm -hmm. so the relationships that he has with his kids are quite positive yeah only because he can relate to them on like a childlike level. Yes. And his over the topness in their age, like, cause they're pretty young children. Mm-hmm. His over the topness works with them because they're so young. I can only imagine how this would go if they were like 15, <laughs> which I just don't think would go over. Very I mean, I well. think the oldest daughter's supposed to be like 14. I think she's like 13 or 14. Like I, I think she's the middle son is 12. Yeah. And then the youngest one is like six. Yeah. So I think the old, because the oldest daughter obviously has like issues. She's pissed. <laughs> She's like an angry gal. Yeah. She was on Tumblr. You know what I mean? <laughs> she was definitely on Tumblr. She was definitely on Tumblr. She was definitely like <laughs> mid Tumblr famous. Yes. And she like wrote fan fiction. Yes, absolutely. But her like her family had no idea that yeah. she had this online persona. No idea. And they just like don't understand her. You don't understand me, mom and dad. You don't get me. <laughs> But um, yeah, I think I think the thing that is really like rewarding ultimately about this movie and about his role is that like obviously we know he's really good at physical and verbal comedy. That's Obvi. like Obvi. that's a given, but it somehow feels very organic mm-hmm. and like he makes absurdity feel normal, yeah. which is really funny. And it makes it, he makes it seem like it comes from the heart because for him, like it does. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like slapsticky, which is why I think I can watch this movie over and over again, because it's not just like some man dressing like a woman and making jokes. It's like he dresses like a woman because his children being taken away from him is his absolute worst nightmare. Yeah. And he physically can't live without them. Like he, he has that speech in the courtroom where he's like mm-hmm. telling me I can't see my kids is like telling me I can't have air. Which is just. <laughs> it's like Kramer versus Kramer vibes. Oh my God. It really, it really, it really is. is. Like that moment really gets me. Oh yeah. Because you're just like, even though like you physically aren't capable of being a, being a, the parent that these children need yeah. all the time. Yeah. 
it's also so heartbreaking because of how much he loves them. Yeah. I used to really relate to this movie hard because I think that there's a big, like, like separating your parents into do into two facets, right? Mm -hmm. There's like your parent, like the father figure or the mother figure or whatever that you associate with being like kind of indestructible or like invincible or like they, like everything that they tell you is truth. Yes. Because that's mom or dad. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's that. And then there's the facet of them as a human being, which what's really funny is a huge, for, for some reason, seems to be like a huge theme in a lot of Robin Williams' movies, <laughs> um, which is like the parent that is a human being, right? The Bob, the Sally, <laughs> you know, the um, the Vincent, right? The person who makes all the mistakes and has all the flaws and like tells you lies and yeah. like, and and makes makes a lot of, grave human errors and Mm -hmm. and i think that a big a big part of this movie is handing you as the viewer that concept and then you deciding what to do with that because it's a very absurdist roundabout way to sort of get to that theme of like you know you can be a parent and try your hardest to connect with your children but at the end of the day they're individual people yeah and your partner is an individual person and if you cannot relate to them on their levels you'll lose them you know literally and like you know emotionally yeah yeah and and i think he i think robin williams like understands that as as the character which is why it's like really nice to see him like it's it's not like when he's mrs doubtfire it's not like you know he's he's just like oh i get to hang out with my kids great wonderful yeah end of story he's also like learning to be a better parent yes in the process through this character work he because it is for him it is he is an actor in this movie (laughs) so through the character work he is now adopting methods Mm -hmm. to parent yeah right because there was him as the wacky funny dad that was more of like a friend to his children yes and not really a caretaker a caregiver right someone who makes a life for them someone who like feeds them or clothes them like he that is not his role or it wasn't his role which is the number one reason why he and sally fields ended up splitting in this movie was because he he was just the fun whack doodle dude (laughs) and she was like i'm the one cooking and cleaning and 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 i'm the one when like things get hard it's like me like it's me 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 and you were just like the fun guy and what the fuck am I? Like, what does that make me? Or whatever. And yeah. so I think the children play a key role in like the Mrs. Doubtfire complex because he is through his character work trying his best to learn the methodology, to learn the the skill set to become that caregiver portion of the parent. Yeah. Like to become like more dependable, adaptable to give them food when they need it to cook. He like literally fucking learns to cook through Mrs. Doubtfire. The more like, I guess, domesticated parts of his life that he literally at the beginning, like refused. Mm -hmm. Like he was just like a batch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A bachelor. And I love that. And the thing is, there are so many like aha moments in this movie with Robin Williams's character. Yeah. And Robin Williams does an incredible job of like sustaining the aha and like, 
upping the ante each time mm-hmm. and like really fucking raising those stakes with his performance yeah through like his emotions his body language his body language is key in this so film. good it's so, so good. fucking key and just re- continuously raising those stakes with each like aha i've learned this new thing or aha that's why my kids fucking hate me aha that's why my ex-wife doesn't want to speak to me <laughs> like yeah. really getting those but then like upping the stakes each time leading up to that court courtroom performance which oh, i yes. just think is absolutely stunning where he has his like final aha of like you know what i can't live without my kids like and i think that's my piece i think that's really all it is is i'm gonna try my hardest to learn how to be a better parent because that's all that matters yeah like he thought before it was like about his kids liking him but that's really not what it is it's about being there for them in very specific ways that will help them grow. Yeah. And I mean, he's also learning that when he is a better parent, he's also a better co-parent slash partner. Yeah. Because like you said, if he's the one who's always fun and Sally Field is always the one who's not, who seems like a big bitch, Mm -hmm. then, (laughs) (laughs) then to the children, it's villainizing her and it's making them think like, oh, mom isn't fun. Mom doesn't want us to have a good time. Mom hates dad, et cetera, et cetera, which is like, it's not what it's about. But when both parents can kind of like meet in the middle and do both things, they elevate each other. Yeah. So by when, when he becomes a better parent, the children are happier and they understand their mom more. And then she becomes nicer in their eyes there's just more empathy yeah yeah like they don't think that she's such a fucking stick in the mud because they go like oh a stick in the mud (laughs) they're like oh that actually had a lot to do with dad and even though he was fun uh, (laughs) that's why mom hated him exactly so anyway robin williams just gives a fucking master class in in nuance in this movie yeah. and like yes it's comedy yes it's fuck yeah okay yes it's very slapstick oh of course it is There's yes so- <laughs> yes it's over the top guys we're not sitting here trying to tell you that like this shit is like fucking crazy but like, it's hilarious but it's hilarious and it gets the job done yes and he went for it and he i think he stretched the role to its absolute limits mm-hmm. and like you could have done so much with this role that just made it very slapsticky and made it very hilarious and kind of called it a day but yeah he brought so much life and nuance to the role that ended up making this movie the classic that it was because it has everything in it yeah i mean i think i think the one other big thing that was like really surprising about this role is his dynamic with Pierce Brosnan which I I think it's overlooked a lot of the time because like Robin Williams he he is the star of many films and in that sense he is a quote-unquote leading man but he is not a leading man type the way that Pierce Brosnan is right Pierce Brosnan was fucking James Bond like (sighs) (laughs) yeah baby and you see the dynamic between them even when Robin Williams is Mrs. Doubtfire Mm -hmm. and it's like weirdly competitive it's hilarious it's like it's like a pissing contest the whole time even though mrs doubtfire is Is a woman is a woman and therefore at at the very least at this time she's like an l she's not only a woman she's an elderly elderly woman british woman yeah who's like very motherly and very compassionate and quiet like very quiet like very diminished yes and so it's kind of hilarious to think that some a character like that would then have a pissing contest with (laughs) 
Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, that it just adds a whole other level of hilarity because yeah. I think without that, Pierce Brosnan's character would have been like pointless. Obsolete, obsolete. But this <laughs> brought just so much. Like this was the this is my favorite bit in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good because <laughs> you you would just never think that like the nanny would have a a pissing contest no not at all and then finally when he when mrs doubtfire saves his life after yeah. he's like fucking choking, choking and his on like a coming shrimp off, or whatever they just like shake hands and like thanks buddy as if he was you know because he can sense that like i guess this woman is just down like i guess she's just down like a clown yep exactly uh, anyway uh, if you have not seen mrs doubtfire you've either you know a been living under a rock a rock or b you're not from this country. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of the two. Or you hate fun. Or C, you hate fun. Or D, you have not found it on a plane yet. <laughs> <laughs> you've never traveled by plane. No. And thus, you've and never thus, watched Mrs. Doubtfire. You have not seen Mrs. Doubtfire. So we are telling you here, please go watch it. Yeah. It is such a phenomenal film. I'd say it's family friendly. Oh, 100%. 100%. There are some funny like innuendos here and there that make it a little bit... But I think it's definitely family friendly. I don't think I got them when I was a kid. So I think you're safe. I was going to say, like, if you're just a kid, yeah. a silly kid on Capitol Hill, then you'll get this. <laughs> you'll love this movie. Agreed. So now we move to our final Robin Williams film of the day. And that is The Birdcage. The Birdcage. The Cage of Birds. Which came out in 1996, directed by Mike Nichols, screenplay by Elaine May, based on the screenplay of La Cage of Folle by Edouard Molinaro. Damn. <laughs> Jean Poiré, uh, Marcelo Danon. Is this Danon. Danon? Mar <laughs> Marcelo Danon. And Francis... Francis Weber. Weber. Francis Weber. Francis Weber. Magnicolis. A lot of these names are like the first name sounds French and the last name sounds Italian, and it's very confusing to me. Molinaro. Molinaro. Okay, okay. In this remake of the classic French farce La Cage aux Folles, engaged couple Val Goldman, played by Dan no. Futterman, and Barbara Keeley, played by Callista Flockhart, uh. <laughs> shakily introduce their future in-laws. Val's father, Armand, played by Robin Williams, a gay Miami drag club owner, pretends to be straight and attempts to hide his relationship with Albert, played by Nathan Lane, his life partner and the club's flamboyant star attraction, so as to please Barbara's father, controversial Republican Senator Kevin Keeley, played by Gene Hackman. Brilliantly by Gene Hackman. Okay, this movie is bread and butter. It's amazing. I had never seen it, which shocked Monica. Shocked, because it's such a Jessica film. It really is. And now I, I want to watch it like five more times. It's just so good. It's so good. So here we have Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Yes. Like basically co-starring in this film, Correct. I would say. Um, Robin Williams is like a more subdued uh, Miami gay, I yes. guess. He is much more subdued and much more like refined. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nathan Lane plays like an over the top, like yes. very, I guess, femme or feminine um, gay man. Yeah, like a stereotypical queen, I guess. You yeah, would right. Say. A stereotypical queen, which uh, is really funny because at the time he was not out. Yet, <laughs> um, like Nathan Lane was not like he was not publicly out no. at all. 
the whole world thought he was a very straight man. Correct. <laughs> um, I cannot imagine why, but you know, <laughs> to each their own. Like, I can't imagine why after you watch this movie. I mean, he was literally like in his fucking element. Maybe they just thought it was like his role, uh, his brief role on Sex in the City, where like he, everyone thinks he's gay, but he ends up being straight. Yeah. Oh my God. Which is such an iconic, oh, so good. So good. Cause he like likes all of the stereotypical gay things like musical theater and he like yeah. enjoys like. He, he like plays in a musical theater piano bar and yeah. he's like very flamboyant. And then he's like he's getting like, married. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and we're getting married. And everyone around them's like, that's not going to last because he's gay. But no, they're like married. like, And then they have a baby. And then they have a baby. And it's a whole thing. And it's, so that, that's like the running gag. But yeah. like in this movie, he's very, very gay mm-hmm. and very flamboyant yes. and like a star. Like um, his drag name is Starina. And <laughs> and she's like the only one that performs like with like with her own voice. Mm-hmm. And all the other drag queens in the club uh, perform uh, lip sync. Yeah. So she's the one who's like, I'm the star. I'm Starina. This is our club. It's called the Birdcage. This is my fucking stage, bitches. Like that's that's her. So that's Nathan Lane's character. And like the dynamic between Robin Williams and Nathan Lane is Robin Williams is like the husband or the partner yeah. who is trying his best to like <laughs> um uh give Starina what she wants and give his partner what he wants. Yeah. But he has limits. <laughs> yeah, because Nathan Lane's character, he's like very on the edge when yes. you first meet him. He's basically just like, I'm old, nobody <laughs> wants to see me. You're probably cheating on me. Tannins <laughs> Tannins <laughs> Uh, oh my god basically like a key he accuses robin williams's character of cheating on him yeah. because there was he switches from red wine to white to white wine and he his excuse or like robin williams's excuse is like oh i switched to white because of the tannins in the red and then nathan lane's like oh yeah tannins <laughs> it's so fucking funny. there are a lot of incredible one-liners in this so good when the schmeckin beckons <laughs> The one-liners mostly come from Nathan Lane. I'm not gonna lie. No, they they all uh, of the good comedic bits come from him from because Lane. he's so reactive in this movie. Like, <laughs> like for example, uh, there is a scene where Nathan Lane is sorry, he's dressed as as a woman, mm-hmm. but not Starina. Yes, <laughs> he's dressed as um, Armand's like fictional wife. Yes. Uh, Val's mother Val's mother uh, in order for um like because you know Val is trying to propose to Barbara he they propose um he's like getting married to her Mm -hmm. but her family is like incredibly incredibly conservative yeah and so they come over and they like transform the entire Miami apartment which is like decked out in like true Miami fanfare Uh garb it's like (laughs) pink flamingos everywhere yeah like statues with dicks and things it's so gaudy it's so gaudy and so they transform it into like basically a dungeon Mm -hmm. and there's like crosses everywhere there's like candles everywhere and the family comes in and is like oh your home is like tight like we love you and they have like they got like nancy drew books but like the nancy drew books are like old timey looking books but they're Mm -hmm. just nancy drew books published (laughs) and so um so nathan lane's character dresses up as a woman val's mother and uh they're at the dinner table 
and the Republican father played by Gene Hackman. Correct. Brilliantly. So good. So brilliantly. Yeah, him and Diane Weist play play <sighs> Barbara's parents and they're so good. <laughs> they are honestly it's just some of the best like conservative like stereotypical like yes. re- republican performances i've ever seen in my life yes they just they're so good everything they say they take offense to absolutely everything mm-hmm. and then they like they're like ah yes upholding family values mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes yes so it's just so fucking funny and they like really play into their characters yes. like there's it's just it's like watching a fucking like play um yeah i mean it's a it was based on one yes exactly (laughs) but i'm saying this movie specifically is like watching a fucking play because they are all such seasoned actors and they're all playing with each other so well but anyway back to the one-liners um nathan lane basically is like they're talking about abortion because of course what else are you gonna be talking about at the dinner table oh why don't at that point why don't they just kill the mothers (laughs) the babies are going down with the ship This movie is fucking, it's incredible. It's like, it's the perfect example of like, so all the camp you can think of, all of it. but done really well. So well, so well. So like, you don't even care don't even how campy really it is. Notice. Yeah, because it's just like, it's the world. They've built you this weird fucking this world. wacky, wacky world. <laughs> anyway, sort of, the movie sort of opens with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, like in a mm-hmm. fight, basically. Yeah. Robin Williams is trying his best to like calm calm starina down starina down yeah obviously to no avail and hank azaria is there the only way (laughs) which hank azaria plays a watermelon (laughs) which everyone has you know what i'm not even gonna blame him he's just doing such a great job yeah agreed so you know what we'll just let that one go it's been so long he's made amends (laughs) i mean he's just playing a gay guatemalan (laughs) (laughs) do you want me to clean (laughs) i'm not wearing shoes it's so good because they make him fall down they make him fall down i'm sorry this whole portion of this episode is just us quoting the movie and laughing oh so sorry honestly go watch it just go watch the movie you'll get more out of it than our analysis (laughs) okay let's circle back robin williams in the movie anyway the whole point that i was trying to make is sort of like introducing what he's doing in this movie which is he is just a troubled father yes like his child who he raised like very proudly by the way Mm -hmm. the child is not val is not ashamed of having like gay dads he unfortunately got himself into a situation where he got engaged to a woman whose parents are conservative and he is very like in the starlight and unfortunately something really tragic happens to to a fellow senator Mm -hmm. Uh, he gets (laughs) he gets caught in a hotel room like dead yeah with a uh, sex worker with a sex worker and it they just make a whole point about it and obviously like she's a woman of color she's yes. black and so obviously in his eyes it's like the biggest offense that you could possibly make is being like a good christian republican exactly senator. it's like cheating on your wife with like <laughs> with a fucking sex worker yep and she's so good <laughs> she makes the smallest cameo but she's so good <laughs> What did she say? She's like, she's like, he was just, she was like, I was just doing my thing. And then he was dead. (laughs) Like his eyes were closed. So I just thought he was really into it. (laughs) 
what did she say? It's literally, it's so funny. <laughs> he was smiling, so I didn't worry. <laughs> His eyes were closed, but he was smiling, so I didn't worry. <laughs> it's so uh, fucking good. This film has an incredibly intricate plot. Obviously. Yeah. So unfortunately <laughs> we can't sit here for hours trying to tell you exactly what we happened. We would, but it, you'd get bored. Yeah. We actually, <laughs> full disclosure, we attempted it and then we had to delete the entire clip because we were like, oh no. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were like talking in circles. <laughs> oh no. Because quite frankly, the plot in this movie is thick with seven C's. Yeah. It's very rich. It's very intricate. There are a lot of, a lot of dynamics that you have to take into account for the performances of these characters exactly so quite frankly let's just let's just talk about robin yeah let's just talk about robin i think the biggest thing about his performance that stands out to me is that it's incredibly melodramatic oh yeah but he because he leans in to the melodrama and like commits to it that's what makes it real yes that's what <laughs> which makes is it- weird you would yes. think that that would do the opposite but it doesn't because I think the moment that you recognize that melodrama is like quote unquote fake, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes fake. Yeah. But if you like commit to it, then it becomes very real. real. And he like really roots it in truth in like this truth of like wanting to be a good father, wanting to please his partner, wanting to like maintain his identity as a gay man. But then there's also like, it gets more complicated when he, when he meets back up with fucking Christine Baranski. Oh, wait, who, by the way, gives like the performance of her life. Yeah. In like five minutes that yes. she's on screen. Yes. There are a lot of moving parts of like the mind of Armand. Yeah. Lots of complicated dynamics. And the thing is, at, at his core, he really just wants to keep the peace, right? Mm-hmm. At his core, he is a complicated man with a complicated past who at one point had a son with a woman who he is and he's truly just trying to find a place for everyone in his life yes and i think a big (laughs) that's where he sort of gets into all the trouble that he's currently in Mm -hmm. is because of the fact that he is just trying to keep everyone in his life in his life he wants to keep his ex-wife in his life with you know he wants to keep because she's val's mother Mm -hmm. he wants to obviously keep his partner in his life and and find a role that he can fit in that feels right yeah and not and not like forced or not like not like playing like a specific a specific figure to the son like yeah he really is just there to help raise him and he plays a, a different role and he's trying to make sure that the nightclub is running and he's trying to make sure that that his son actually has a life that he's proud of and so he tries to support him as much as he can a lot of it has to do with him just trying to make sure that the people in his life are in his life and doing well. Yeah. And that's the problem is he really could have just told his son like, no, fuck off. Like we will just be who we are. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's very misguided obviously because you really shouldn't change yourself for anyone. Of course. But he loves his son so much that he was trying his best to fit into the role that his son needed him to be. Yeah. So a, lot, a big part of this movie is just roles, right? Like the roles that we take, the roles that we are, the roles that we don't want to take, but take anyway. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and really fitting into those molds and asking yourself like, am I happy in this mold? Does this make sense? <laughs> Am I still here? (laughs) So, you know, I love what Robin Williams does with specifically Nathan Lane. Everyone, he, he has an incredible, incredible chemistry with everyone in this movie, quite frankly. But with specifically Nathan Lane is he tries to subdue him Mm -hmm. as much as he possibly can because Nathan Lane 
just goes off the fucking walls. Yes. And Robin Williams' job is not to match it, but to subdue it and create more of a balance and like a sense of of ground like grounding the performance yes. and he he is literally there to ground everyone's performance it, yes and he is and he does a brilliant job of doing this because again like like you said there's melodrama mm-hmm. it's all fake it's all very campy yeah but he roots it in truth he roots it in the love for his son and the love for his partner and like the desperate attempt of trying to keep everyone at bay trying to like make sure that everyone has a role that is fulfilled that they feel good in yeah and he He's really like very conflict avoidant yes. in this entire movie. Yes. So, which unfortunately gets him into conflict more often than Correct. not. But he does such a brilliant and beautiful job of getting all these pieces of arm on the character right mm-hmm. and like really offering something unique and fun and spirited in this performance. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because like he plays this kind of over the top character and yet like he's still the one, like you said, grounding everyone in the movie. Yeah. Even Val, who is like obviously less over the top, but he's even grounding him. Yeah. And it's very rare to see a film that Robin Williams is in where he is the most grounded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't see that that often, but it comes from his very like paternal, I guess, mm-hmm. need to, to like keep all the shit together. together. Yeah. And to like, keep the family unit together because even though it is an unconventional family unit, it's still his. And like, that seems to be kind of like the spirit of Armand in general, because like he's, he's not just a father, but he's also like a business owner. And he has all of these concerns that are greater than just like, I'm a gay man and this is my identity. And so it feels very natural for him to kind of be this person to, to want to ground everything. But like you said, it does end up getting him, into even more trouble and also kind of even confusing his own intentions at times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, like I think especially when he goes and meets Christine Baranski, like he's just there to go get her to come to <laughs> dinner. But then he ends up like, I think you're supposed to assume that he's like hanging out with her for like hours. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> so he ends up like getting like massaged by her. Yeah. And she's like, she's like, Oh, this shirt. I love this shirt. Oh, your chest hair. I yeah. love your chest. And he's like, thank you. And then they're like doing old dance routines together. Yeah. And obviously the assistant is like letting them kind of do whatever. But then obviously Nathan Lane's character comes in and he's like, what the fuck? What are you doing? Uh, and there's a lot more there that we could really dig into. Oh yeah. With oh yeah. That, even, even that little like side plot, but we're not. We're not going to dig much. into it. No. Um, but anyway, a big, what I love most though, that Robin Williams offers to this character is just a sense of compassion. Mm-hmm. I think that compassion is a really big thing in Armand's character because, yeah. again, we are talking about all of you know conflict avoidant and making sure that everyone's okay. But a big part of that is feeling compassion. And I think something that Robin Williams brings to the melodrama is a sense of compassion and love and, yeah. like, you know, really putting himself in the other person's shoes as a character and coming up with the various ways that he can be of service, coming up with the various ways that he can be of help, right? And feeling like putting himself aside Mm -hmm. so that he can then please the person or make the person feel more comfortable like his son, right? You know, a good example is, you know, drinking the drinking the white wine and like putting that out and making sure that his son feels comfortable there and like meeting him alone meeting him by the pool instead of in the club where he where he feels more comfortable to, to talk 
not meeting him with his partner, right? Like yeah. making sure that the person that he is giving his time and attention to feels loved and feels comfortable. And Robin Williams himself exudes that um, as a human being, right? As a very like compassionate and joyous person, making sure that everyone feels loved is a big part of his, of Armand's character that Robin Williams naturally brings to that role. Yeah. And he also, he has to like ultimately explain that to Nathan Lane because Nathan Lane's like, what are you ashamed of me? Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, like even though we've been together forever, what you still don't understand is like, this is how I show that I care by prioritizing certain things in my life. And right now it's my son. And these are the things that my son wants. And it has nothing to do with him feeling ashamed of you or of us, et cetera. But it's about like keeping the peace and that has to be the priority. And then Nathan Lane finally understands and that's why he, you know. (laughs) Dresses up, so to speak. Well, initially he just dresses like a straight man but it's too it's too weird like it's, it's too, too weird he he does everything right kind of except he's wearing pink socks and he's like and he can't get comfortable like because yeah. he keeps wanting to like cross his legs or like sit pretty yeah but then like he's like trying his best to do you know that you know how businessmen sit sometimes when they're yeah. leaning back in a chair is they'll like put their ankle on their knee mm-hmm. um he can't do that <laughs> and so he's just sitting there like very uncomfortable yeah or he at some point like tries to like learn how to walk quote unquote walk like a straight man <laughs> Because he walks with a very like bouncy. I love that. That's one of persona. my favorite scenes. <laughs> and so he tries to walk like John Wayne. Yeah. And you know how John Wayne has a very specific walk. And so he's walking and he looks like he's fucking limping <laughs> or like he's having a seizure or something because it's yeah. just so bizarre. So he's trying. <laughs> He's trying. And then he turns to Robin Williams and he's like, am I doing a bad job? And Robin Williams is like, no, it's perfect. I just never realized that's how John Wayne was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's Robin Williams in the birdcage. Yeah, it really is. It's just like, it's the perfect combination of like, of of heart and of camp. And I think he's a really good vessel for that because I think he did something very similar in Mrs. Doubtfire and combined those two things. But in a very wacky and absurdist film, quite frankly. Yeah. And I think he, he, you know, he went up to bat and he, he came out with a fucking home run. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of his, of his. We love him. Big fan. Big fan. Big fan. Okay, well, Monica, what have you dabbled in? What have you dabbled in, Jessica? Oh, okay. So we're turning the tables on me. Yeah. Well, I told you that this is what I was going to share. Um, <laughs> in my text, I was like, I'll just say witchcraft. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> this isn't necessarily a dabble so much as just something that happened. So I think it was on the last episode. Was, was that when we were talking about um, Jason Segel? I don't Siegel? even know anymore. It was either on the last one or the one before that. We were talking about Jason Siegel and we were talking about like what he's doing. And we said something about like he was dating a photographer. And I told a story about how I saw him in Santa Barbara one time. With, the, with this woman. With this woman. I have not told that story in like five years since it years. happened. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, now I remember. I saw him in Santa Barbara. <laughs> Literally two days later, <laughs> I opened my phone to the news and Jason Siegel and this woman have broken up after have eight split. years together. <laughs> now, 
This is not the first time this has happened to me. (laughs) There are many events, most of them unfortunately involving me thinking of a celebrity doing a deep dive of them online and then within a week they have died. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But the other time that this happened, not with death, but with a relationship is in November. Remember I told you about this? I had a dream. I had a dream that I, that Jason Sudeikis fell in love with me. And in the dream, I was like, what are we going to do? You're with Olivia Wilde. (laughs) We have to figure something else, something out. I woke up and they had announced that they had split. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm a witch. You're not allowed to think about anything. That's what everyone says. You're not <laughs> allowed to like, think about anything. Just stop Googling celebrities. Oh my God, get out of here. I'm I'm turning the tables now. <laughs> my dabble is I have purchased summer clothes or I'm starting to purchase summer clothes. By the way, for those those, those listening, I do not have a, I don't own, and mm-hmm. this is like cross my heart and hope to die. This is not a lie. Yeah. I do not own a single pair of shorts. Neither do I period i own a pair of pajama shorts no like i mean well duh everyone owns a pair of pajama shorts but like i don't own a single pair of like jean shorts or otherwise shorts like no shorts no linen shorts no no biker like nothing Mm -hmm. absolutely no shorts um i bought my first pair of jean shorts today wow realizing that like none of my jeans fit some of them are too big. Some of them are too small. Some of them fit weird. Some of them are too long. Some of them are too short. And so I'm sitting here like, what the literal fuck? And mind <laughs> you, I have like 15 pairs of, sh- of pants. I have like 15 pairs of pants. They're all from Madewell, unfortunately. Monica loves pants. <laughs> I love jeans. I only wear jeans. And so, and they're all from Madewell. So yeah. I'm just sitting here like, I think I really need to like restock my jeans because I'm buying like, I'm buying like all sizes. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> there are some like 25, some 26s. Well, to be fair, you could be a different size in many different cuts. You could even be a different size depending on- No, the, no, no. Just like, you're not- color you're not, of denim. You're not understanding. It's the same cut and they're basically all the same color. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then never mind. <laughs> they're all like the mid blue wash. <laughs> because I, I like- in Madewell jeans, for example, mm-hmm. I'm like one size in one specific style and then another size in another style. And even within that style, if they come in two colors, sometimes they're made with a different fabric so that I'm a different size. Yeah, fuck that. It's annoying. Anyway, I'm on the hunt for some new jeans Okay. Uh, to restock. So if anyone has any jean, jean stores, jean factories, let me know. Okay, great. That's you should it. continue shopping at Madewell. <laughs> Absolutely not. I heard Everlane's jeans are nice. Eveline. Gar to Eveline. Gar there. Gar. <laughs> or oh, the places you'll go. Gar. Nicole. Nicole Kidman. Oi, I'm married to Keith Urban. <laughs> and we're back on the train. <laughs> okay, Monica, we have a question this oh, week. Oh, tell me. If you were an interviewer on Hot Ones... Which question would you want to ask and who would you want to interview? Um, I would want to interview Gwyneth Paltrow. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> and I would want her to like talk about the like the various oh people mm-hmm. in Hollywood that she's either like hooked up with or like like had the best like 
kiss with on screen or something like that. Oh my because God. Gwyneth loves to dish. She does. <laughs> Gwyneth does love to she dish. She loves to dish. Like she 100% on Dak Shepard podcast was just like, like, yeah, I fucked Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> Which like we all knew because they were engaged, but like, yeah, but like you don't hear people say oh, it that man. explicitly. Oh my God. <laughs> that is incredible. Thank you. I would definitely want to interview Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> okay. Just because I want to see her eat. Like, I want to know how she eats hot wings. <laughs> like, does she like, like, like a shark? Does she like curl her lips I think back? she like goes in. Does she like go in? You you can't forget. She's still Jenny from the block. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block. It don't matter all the rocks that I got. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would definitely want to uh, uh, interview her. I want to watch her. Eat. I would just sit there and like watch her eat hot wings. Yeah. I would also ask her, I'd be like, you know what? Like, what do you do for exercise? That's what I want to know. Okay. Because quite frankly- I'm I'm just wondering, like she she did hustlers, she did like the pole dancing for a yeah. while. I want to know if she's like kept that up. I want to know. I'm sure she, she has. Well, uh, uh, do you know? You're right. I don't know. That's for sure. why I want to ask. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's why they broke up because A Rod was like, "I'm tired of you stripping. I'm tired of you on the pole, girl. <laughs> Get off the pole. Get off the pole, J Lo." <laughs> uh, okay, good answer. It's okay. She can do better than A Rod. True, but they were really cute together. She can do better than A-Rod's. She and Mark Anthony were cute together. Look at them. I thought they were less cute than her and A-Rod. I think you're... Mark Anthony looks kind of buggy, if you ask me. I think you need to stop hating on Mark Anthony (laughs) because he is a legend. (laughs) Okay. See, I didn't grow up with him in the same way that you did, so... Did you grow up with Mana? (laughs) With who? Mana. I don't know what that is. They're a Latin band. They're super famous. No, because I did not grow up listening to that music. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, as always, don't sue us, Danny Favreau. Favreau. Goodbye, money. Ah, fucking bye. <laughs>